you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew 6, chapter Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. As you're turning there, happy Mother's Day to our mothers that are here today. I know it's a special day for you. We have family that is here. Maybe you've traveled to be with your mother. I'm thankful for my mother, Debbie Eldridge. Got to talk to her this morning, so thankful for her love and sacrifice and the way that she uh, has come alongside of me and encouraged me and thankful for my wife, Danielle, the mother of our children and my mother-in-law, Jane Robertson. And so I know it's a special day. I also know that it's a day that in many ways can, can be bittersweet. Uh, there's a prayer that I've prayed for uh, each and every person that is here on Mother's Day. It's in our Together. It's the bulletin that you received. As you leave, you can take that with you, and maybe that would be a prayer for you today also on this Mother's Day. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, what we know to be the Lord's Prayer. If you're visiting with us, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Lord's Prayer, probably the most famous prayer in all of Scripture. It's what we're looking at. Many of us memorize this in the King James Version. So as we start today, I think it's helpful for us just to hear the whole contour of the Lord's Prayer reading, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Last week, if you were with us, we answered two questions looking at that first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. We answer the question, who do we pray with, that pronoun, our? It's never a call in your life, in my life, to be Lone Ranger Christians. We are created for community. Even when we pray, even when we pray alone, we pray from a community, on behalf of a community. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian that is growing and that is healthy. We need one another. We need life spiritually together. Who do we pray with? Our. Who do we pray to? We asked that question. We wanted to answer that question last week as we thought about our Father, which art in heaven. Father in heaven. He is both imminent, that he is an Abba Father. He is close to us and embraces us as a loving Father would his son or daughter, but yet he is transcendent. He is in heaven. He is close, but yet holy other, our Father, which art in heaven. And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer from this sort of foundational place, we ask and answer those two questions, who do we pray with, who do we pray to, and that leads us then to explore the question that we will in this sermon and next week's sermon, how do we then pray? How do we then pray? Who do we pray with, who do we pray to, how do we then pray. And what we discover in the Lord's prayers, how do we pray? Well, we pray for God's name to be known. Hallowed be thy name. We are invited to pray. Uh, Hallowed, uh, hallowed, as some pronounce, is a a word that is an old-fashioned word. It's a King James word. It's a word that we rarely use in 2019. It's a word that is, uh, you will hear when you hear 
All Hallows Eve or Halloween. It, it is a word that could lead to some confusion because we still use this word in the Lord's Prayer. And so you'll have a daughter who will come up to her mom and say, why do we pray Halloween, thy name? You know, it, it is just one of these words that can be confusing for a child who doesn't hear that word oftentimes used. Now, many of you know that that word is connected to, to a word that in the original language of the New Testament actually means to consecrate, to set apart, to reverence. It's connected to the word holiness in the Bible. And so we pray for his name to be reverenced. We pray for his name to be set apart. We pray for his name to be unique, not only in our area code, not only in our state, not only in our nation, but in the world. And so as we pray, hallowed be thy name, we ask ourselves, well, how, how do you consecrate a name? How, how do you set apart a name? And this is important because all throughout Scripture, names are, are used in a different way in, in Old Testament and New Testament than they are in our culture. Obviously, names are significant. There's no denying that names are significant. And the reason that you named your child the name that he or she has is because of some type of significance. But no one in this room would say that the entirety of their character is inextricably intertwined with their name. But you see this in Scripture. You, people receive names, and it shows the character of that person. It shows the essence of that person. So it was when Moses, the murderer Moses, is sojourning, working for his father-in-law. He is encountered by the burning bush in God's presence, and God tells him, you've got to go back to Egypt. And you've got to go to Pharaoh, and you've got to say, let my people go. Well, he says, I've got some reasons not to do that. You, you hear about what I did? That's probably not a good reason for me to do that. Another thing is, I have a difficulty with public speaking. And another thing is, is they're going to ask me. My people are going to ask me, under whose name are you going forth with the authority to say that? And it's in that moment that he says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. At the very heartbeat and character and essence. God was saying, this, this is who I am in my name. And so when we pray for God's name to be revered, for God's name to be consecrated, we're not just praying that people would know intellectually about facts about God, but we, we're praying for his name to reign in their lives, for him to be honored in their lives. It, it is a prayer that is ultimately a evangelistic and missionary prayer. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church at Rome, he comes to the ninth chapter and he sort of pauses and he reflects upon why did God set his people free from Egyptian captivity? And you know how he answers that in Romans chapter 9, verse 17? He answers it this way, that I, this is God speaking, that I might show my power in you, the Israelites, and that my, and notice what he says, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Going back to the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4, the central command of missions is this, to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the peoples, to proclaim that his name is exalted. And so what Paul is communicating, what Isaiah is communicating here, is that we as Christians are called to make his name famous, not only here, but 
to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is why we go as a church. This is why we pray as a church for mission work and evangelistic work. This is why we give. This is why when you give to Dawson, much of the resources that you give go to spread the name of Jesus Christ in ministries like Kids Connection, like Empower, ministries like the Learning Center. Why do we do this? It's not just a heartbeat for literacy training, but it is literacy training to give us a platform so that his name would be gloriously known. To those who do not reverence or know the name of Jesus Christ, and this is the fact, missions exist because the hallowing of God's name does not in the family who denies his existence. Missions exist because the hallowing of God does not exist in the person that believes that all roads lead to heaven and all roads lead to God. The name of God is not hallowed in the person who worships at the altar of their family utmost or their career utmost, or the pursuit of pleasure utmost. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, for his name to be hallowed, we are praying a missionary prayer, an evangelistic prayer. I love the way John Piper, theologian, pastor, in a very influential book written decades ago called the Let the Nations Be Glad. And the impetus of missions, he says, is this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And so missions exist because worship doesn't. So we go, we pray, we give. Families in the 95-year history of this church have, have uprooted, have moved to nations, have moved to other communities. They've set up career. They've raised their family. Why? So that his name would be hallowed. There are those of you in this room that your summer schedules look differently You're taking time out of your summer. There's nothing wrong with taking vacations. Praise God for the ability and the resources and the careers that give us the opportunity to do that. But many of you in this room will serve in our area code or you will serve in other continents. Why do you do that? Because you're praying, hallowed be thy name as you go and do short-term missions. We give sacrificially. We pray and we go, and that gives me the great joy as a pastor to be able to tell you, because of your giving, because of your going, because of your praying, there are those who get to hear the name of Jesus Christ in their own heart language. Many of you know that this church over the last five years has had a a gloriously powerful campaign called Go Love Tell. Five projects, five years, five million dollars, so that his name would be hallowed. And out of your giving and out of your praying, I I stand before you with the, the first copy of the New Testament in the heart language of a mountainous indigenous people group in the Horn of Africa that never before months ago had their heart language as Uh, translator, the New Testament translated in their heart language. For 10 years, there have been two missionaries who have been working on a translation. And because, Dawson, because uh, of God's sovereign love for this people group and because of the means of you giving, so I stand before you with this New Testament that has 10,000 copies through your giving. Thousands of, of audio devices that have that heart language, audio New Testament 
on it and it's solar powered to be able to spread to spread the name, the glorious name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every, every tongue will confess. And every knee will bow. And so we pray, hallowed be thy name, because we are a church that desires for God's name to be known. Not only do we pray for God's name to be known, but we pray for God's will to be done. God's will to be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the kingdom of God, as soon as you open up the New Testament, is the central theme. You have John the Baptist with this strange attire of camel's hair, the strange diet of locusts and honey. And what is coming out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He passes the baton to the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what comes out of Jesus' mouth? Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. So we ask, what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is the reign of God in your life personally, but, it, but it's more than just you and Jesus. It's more than just the reign of God in your life. There, there is something cosmic in scope about the kingdom of God. Because we understand that the kingdom of God is going to be such that, that all of life in the new heaven and the new earth is going to be under his reign. So even, even the, the, the cosmic forces, the meteorological imbalances and the tornadoes and floods and all those kinds of things, there, there'll be one day where even creation is groaning. And as God created Adam and Eve, and we're living in the garden, so it will be that his kingdom, his kingdom will be known in that glorious, perfected way. But we live in the in-between. We live in the in-between. So, so you as a believer have trusted in his victory over sin. We've just sung of that. We, we've trusted in his victory over sin. We've trusted in the freedom that we have in Christ, and that is our ultimate destination. But until we get there in heaven or he comes back in his second coming, guess what? There's still some skirmishes. So that's our ultimate destination, but there are times where the skirmish of lust, you can lose that battle. Or the, the skirmish of pride, you can lose that battle. The skirmish of gossip, you can lose that battle. But, but we know where we're headed to, where his kingdom is going to rule, and it's going to rule perfectly in your life, and it's going to rule perfectly in the new heavens and the new earth. This is our destination. So we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when you know where you're headed to, it affects the way you live today. My granddad, avid reader, he used to always, when I would go to his house before he went to be with the Lord, he would have 11 books, 12 books just stacked right by his reading chair. And I would say, Granddaddy, how can you read all of those books? And he would say, well, David, I go to the library and I get all of these books and I come home and I read the last page of each of them. And if I like the way it ends, I'll go back and read the rest of the book. <laughs> and he did. There, there was something about, if he liked the way it ended, then it showed him an entry point into the rest of the book. And, and guess what, Christian? The, the way this story ends, it is definite. The story of God's rule and God's reign is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. 
It isn't dependent upon what you and I do. And, and, if, and if we do this on page 83, then we can go to page 163 and we can figure out. But if we don't do that, then maybe it's going to end up some other way. No, it is a definite ending. His rule, his reign, we know where this story is going. We know what the end of the book tells us. And because of that definite ending, it makes a difference in how we live now. It makes a difference in how we live now. Because we know there is a day that is coming where there will be perfect justice. Perfect justice forevermore. So we work now for justice. Because we know that we're moving to a day where there will be no more orphans. So we work and we pray for the cause of the orphan today. Because we know that there will be a day where no child will go to bed hungry. So we work for and we pray for the, for the cause of the hungry today. Not just as some great by and by. Because we know where we're headed to. It affects how we live today. We know that there's a day where the, the ravages of sex trafficking in our world and that happens in our own backyard, these things happen. We know that there will be a day where that never happens again. So we work for and we pray for the injustices that are around us. We know that there will be a day where every tribe and every tongue and every nation will worship him in the beauty of their diversity, but unified unified by his throne since we know that's where we're headed to we see the walls of bias and prejudice and we say tear them down and give us the inspiration to do that kind of heavenly work now you see we know where we're headed to and because we know with great certainty where we are headed to it affects the way that you and I live now. But my question to you is, is that the Lord's Prayer isn't just cosmic in scope. It isn't just as theologians say, eschatological in its destination. It is something that, that intersects your life and my life. It is a haunting prayer. Because what I mean is, is, is when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we begin to realize that his work has no limit to what it desires to pursue in the recesses of each and every one of our souls that is here today. That there's no part of our life that is off limits to his holy work. That, that, that there's no part of your life and my life, a life that we often live with my kingdom, my will, my desire, my pleasure, my pursuits. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're ultimately saying, God, may your reign supersede my reign. May your kingdom demolish my kingdoms that I'm so easily tempted to build. I don't know how many of you have moved lately. Daniel and I, because we got married while we were in school, a part of our journey has been moving. We, we, we've moved and we've packed boxes. And one of the things with packing boxes sometimes is, is your boxes don't get unpacked at the place you move. and You just carry them on. I mean, it's really convenient. You just got boxes and you don't ever unpack them and you can just move them on to the next place. And we love serving at Dawson. 
We love the community that we live in. And so, Lord willing, our goal is to unpack our boxes and get all of the boxes unpacked and to be truly moved in. And so there's some boxes that are in the attic. There's some boxes that are in the basement. And one of the goals is we get all the boxes taken care of. And so Danielle had a box. She said, David, you got to go through that box. My mom moved out of the house that she lived in that I grew up in. There's 30 years of life. And so my mom gave me some boxes. And I was looking at some of those boxes there, and I was thinking, what are we going to save and what are we going to get rid of? And it, it's really hard to, to say. There was an old song about boys to men. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. <laughs> and as I was going through, uh, if you don't know who boys to men are, they're a southern gospel group. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Gaithers and boys to men. So uh, back to the point. So I was going through that box. And there are all of these cords, just all, all of the phones that I've owned, the cords are in there and the Nintendo DSs, all these cords. And I could open up a Radio Shack from like 2005 Radio Shack. I had it all right there in, in that box. I, I saw these old VHS cassettes, movies, before, I mean, before DVDs. And, and I thought to myself, I can't throw these. I mean, this, this is like a Christmas present that was given to me. I can't really just throw this away. One day, someone's going to call me and say, hey, David, can I borrow uh, Rocky Three on VHS? And I would say, I've got a box for you right here. I do. And so I just didn't know. It's hard. It's hard to downsize. It's hard to say Put a pile that you're going to keep and put a pile that you're going to give away and put a pile that you're going to throw away. That works on Netflix, but it's harder to do sometimes in your own life. And so I went through that box, and there's a lot of my kingdom in that box that's just hard to give away, and it's hard to get rid of. And I'm here to tell you that there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have a box. I mean, it, it is just the bent of our fallen nature to hoard and to hold on to things that God calls us to place before the altar of the cross. And, and if we really look in the recesses of those attic places in our soul, there very well may be a box that is entitled, My Kingdom my will, and you begin to rummage through it. And there's some hoarded bitterness toward a family member that you just want to hold on to. There's some greed that you just can't give away. There's some pride that you know he's calling you to, to pray, not my will, but thine will be done. Not my kingdom, but thy kingdom but yet we look at the box and there's a lot of me, myself, and I in that box. And he's calling to us to, to surrender those boxes, those things that we hoard, that he's calling us to give to him and forget what is behind and press forward to what is ahead. But we hold on to those boxes. Why? Because it is really hard for us at times to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The story goes after 
World War II that General MacArthur has a symbolic meeting. The, the surrender after World War II was official, but there was a symbolic gesture between uh, general and, uh, the Japanese general after World War II and General MacArthur. The Japanese general was decked out in his military regalia, approached General MacArthur and extended his hand to shake the hand of General MacArthur, and the way the story goes historically is, is that General MacArthur looked down at the sword of the general and was placed at his side, and he said, I cannot shake your hand, sir, until you first surrender your sword. I cannot accept your surrender as long as your sword is hanging by your side. Give me the sword, and then we'll shake hands. And there are many of us in this room who pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done with the sword of my kingdom and the sword of my will safely at our side. And so it is this morning that the Lord is inviting us to give to him the sword of our will, to give him the sword of our kingdom, praying truthfully, confessionally, not my will, but thine will be done. Let us pray. So it is, Lord Jesus, as we encounter your word, a prayer that is so familiar to us today, that there's a temptation in the heart of all of us here this morning to hold on to, hold on to our will, hold on to our kingdom, hold on to those places that you're calling us to surrender fully to you. And so it is, God, that today, today we ask you to give us the courage to fully pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. To give us the inspiration, to give us the power of the Holy Spirit when we're resistant to change, we're resistant to surrender. May we see today that the only freedom that we can have is when we truly trust you. The only hope that we can have isn't when we try to simultaneously build our kingdom and submit to yours at the same time, it cannot be done. We give to you our sword. We ask for your name to be hallowed in our church, in our community, in the world. We ask not for our kingdom to come, but your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray, the holy name of Jesus, amen.